are never truly lost. Well, okay, sure. Maybe we get turned around for a few days in the woods. Where life just feels like it's getting the best of us. And everything's going wrong. And I'm Mike Martin. And I've stood right where you're standing. Lost. Beaten down. Like nothing's ever going to change. And that's why I built this camp. And that's why I'm inviting you to join me and all the members of this wild community. Because you know what, friend? It does get better. So come along with me into the wild and let me show you this awesome, unique skill set that lays with inside of you. With help from the land, we're going to unlock the steward that's inside each and every one of us that will lead the way out of the darkness and into healing. Here at the Camp of Healing on Project Mindfully Outdoors. Everybody, welcome to Campfire Session, a project mindfully outdoors. As always, I'm your guide, Mike Martin. And you know, it's actually uh, fitting as get ready to break down camp here for this uh, little trip and adventure that I've been on, which uh, you know is actually pretty uh, fun and interesting since uh, windstorm decided to blow in last night. And I don't know if you can see in the background behind me, but it's still blowing pretty hard. But, you know, it's times and experiences like this that, you know, we put ourselves in in order to gain perspective and be able to really gauge not only the changes that we make in our lives, but also where we've been and the, the effect that those things have had on us. And, you know, I think that's fitting set up for today's conversation. Because with my guest, Amanda Kate, we get into the very spiritual aspect of trying to heal from trauma. Finding ways to look inward within our comfort zone. But yet be able to expand and reach out and essentially discover new waters. And, you know, on that note, we're going to go ahead and jump into my conversation with Amanda, and I'll catch you on the flip side. Today's episode is brought to you by... The solution to all of your gear storage and carrying needs. Evolution Outdoors. And if you find me trolling the banks of my favorite fisheries, or if you catch any of the upcoming fishing videos this season, you'll notice I'm using the Evolution Outdoors Drift Series Sling. And I just love this setup. It's comfortable enough to wear all day, it's rugged enough to handle all the abuse that gets thrown at it. 
and it's even built with a rain fly inside of it that way when you get caught in the stormier situations your gear is going to stay nice and dry this pack holds three trays and it's presented with an open face that allows for easy access there's plenty of pockets and holsters and the drift series sling is really all that you need for a day out on the water and the price point it won't be it won't break the bank either so click on the link in the show notes and check out not only the drift series but all the solutions for carrying your tackle and all your gear this year at evolution outdoors And there we go. All right. So, Amanda, I've definitely uh, become a big fan of your work lately oh. as I've looked into the stuff you do. It's very intriguing. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I've been enjoying your work as well. I was just saying I'm loving the podcasts and your newsletters. So, yeah, it's really interesting. And I want to start out by asking a very vague question. Hmm. And what does spirituality look like to you? I actually don't think that's a vague question at all. I think it's a wonderful question and it's something I talk about a lot. I think that spirituality is the essence of who we are and it's both extremely complicated and ridiculously simple. Spirituality to me is not religion. It is separate from, I guess, the human messiness and muckiness that we chuck into organised spirituality. For me, spirituality is the relationship that I have with my God. It is the relationship I have with my higher self, infinite wisdom, whatever it is that you want to call it. For me, it really is about self-mastery and understanding, I guess, the programming parts of me and the real parts of me and the truth of me and the experience that I'm having in this world and bringing to this world. So spirituality is pretty much everything that I do and I don't know how to separate it out from all of the other things. Now, see, I love that explanation because, number one, it does bring it into a real focus. Mm. But, number two, I can relate a lot to that journey of discovery because mm. I know looking back at the path, it was kind of like when you bring up that idea of you know, religion or spirituality, I'd roll my eyes, kind of look at it and laugh and be like, yeah, that, that, that's, you know, that, that's for whoever that ain't for me. Yeah. And then as I've shifted and I've really learned to master the reality that I'm living in now, I realize that it is so much of a empowering mm -hmm. idea, exploring spirituality, because yeah. it, it really puts that pin like in your hand in order to write the story that you want to live. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it also, 
it acknowledges the totality of who and what you are rather than trying to deny those really important aspects. We've all been hurt. We've all been traumatised. We've all been in situations that are less than nourishing and nurturing, which is effectively what trauma is. When we experience something as less than nourishing and nurturing and we internalise that and we create stories around it and behaviour patterns around it, that is trauma. And when we can go back and learn to love all of those parts of ourselves that have been unresourceful, that have been traumatised, that have traumatised others, you know, as a mother, I can put my hand up and say, my children have been traumatised by me. If we look at behaviour that's less than nourishing and nurturing, I've been an abusive mother when we, we really get down to it. Now, have I intended to? Of course not. But spirituality for me is going back and loving all of those parts of me, knowing that they were doing the best they could with the tools they had available to them at the time and extending that generosity and compassion and empathy and love for those parts of me who didn't know any better and then found a path to find a way to do better, to learn better, to know better and to work out the water that she was swimming in that she didn't realise was toxic sludge <laughs> no i love how you you know basically put that together because i've discovered the same kind of journey when i look back is yeah i thought i was making the best of the situation with you know the tools at hand and the things that i knew but then you get shifted into the you know the path that you're walking now and you realize looking back that had i had known what i know now yeah. things probably would have been a lot different. But at the same time, you know, at the beginning of it, when I spent a lot of time kind of just stumbling around, swimming in like all these different stoic philosophy mm -hmm. books and whatnot, realizing that it lays such a really foundation and a bridge work that you can build upon to look mm -hmm. back and say, you know, maybe I shouldn't have been so hard on myself when mm -hmm. I went through said situation. And where I'm at now, there's empathy more for the things that I experienced throughout the day because I've realized that you can change the the wordage and the way that you describe a situation. Mm. Absolutely, 100%. You can change that story at any point. And I think that's the power of the work that I've found is, is being able to change that story, being able to understand that story at a really deep, integral level that even those people who, you know, have wronged me, abused me, at sometimes almost tortured me with their existence have also created for me a, an incredible platform for me to understand human behaviour at such a deep level, they have given me very deep gifts. All of that trauma has combined together to allow me to find the empathy and compassion for other people. And I think it's almost like that, you know, you can't understand grief unless you've known love and you can't understand true sadness if you've not understood joy. And for me, being able to understand the depths of, you know, crappy human behaviour that I've experienced means now that I can actually also see the incredible humanness in that behaviour. I can see the trauma that has led to people behaving in that way and I can have empathy for it. I can also not condone those behaviours and I think being able to hold that paradox comfortably 
is the biggest gift that all of this work has given me is that I can look at these people and see the humanness I can see the trauma. I can see the inner hurt children. I can see those angry teenagers, all of that stuff within that person. And I can love and empathize for that and also not condone their behaviors. And to be able to sit with that, that feels so like opposite ends of a spectrum. And just to be able to sit with it and go, yeah, all that's true is freeing. It really is. It's been something that I've learned to not only accept and become comfortable with, but enjoy. Mm -hmm. And I think back to those early days of that journey where, you know, for me, it was a lot of reading. Mm -hmm. And that's where I found the inspiration to actually start moving forward and get back on my feet. And there was a quote from uh, Marcus Aurelius, from Meditations by Marcus Mm -hmm. Aurelius that he opens up book two with talking about when you wake up each day remind yourself that you're going to face people that annoy you or this and that (laughs) and it's not so much the fact that they're doing it just out of spite or just because they can it's because of the fact that you know they're not necessarily having the same understanding or maybe they don't have the same tools they don't view things in the same way that you do yeah And it gives you that option to put the pen in your hand and write how you're going to deal with that situation. Yeah. In my book, I actually talk about the truth having 144 sides. And I heard that first through Eileen McCusick, who does biofield tuning. And for me, I'd heard about the 360-degree truth, um, which I I can't remember who um, put that one out there, but somebody talks about 360-degree truth. But when I did that, I realized what I was still doing was I was putting myself in the center and turning around, you know, to look at the different aspects. But I was still central to the story. Whereas when I thought about the truth having 144 sides, I wasn't the center anymore. I was able to separate myself out and almost walk around the issue to see it from different points of view. And that has been such an incredible part of my healing. So it's the same way. My um, uncle was a cop here in Australia for a while and he used to do a lot of uh, traffic accidents. And he said, you know, you could interview 10 different people and they all have different ideas of what happened, which directions the car were going in, what colours the car were, who were driving, you know, the gender of the people, like all of the things people would see differently. And so you'd interview 10 people, they'd all give different stories and you'd kind of have to piece it together from there. And once I started thinking about the truth having 144 sides, that kind of made sense because everybody's looking at it from a different perspective and they're looking at it through their lenses of experience, through their conditioning, through all of the stuff that they have been through. And then they're looking at the instance from that with all of those lenses on. And what that helped me to really understand is, you know, I believe, say, for example, my ex-husband is narcissistic um, on <laughs> quite high up on the scale, let's call it. But he thinks that I'm mentally disturbed because, you know, in his mind, I left a perfect man. Now, both of those things I can actually hold as true. Maybe that is true. You know, and from his perspective, from where he's standing around the truth, 
that feels like the biggest truth from where I'm standing and my position and what I went through, I'm standing in my truth as well. And what it's helped me to do is give grace to people who see things differently and understand things differently. Now, see, I was just actually writing and put out recently a article about that concept, mm -hmm. about how as we go through life, we collect all these different things in our backpack. Yeah. And it, it does affect how we view the world. And, you know, when you face a situation like that, and I've been there myself, mm. it can be very challenging to sort through what is fact and what is fiction. And being able to step outside of that, I think kind of gives you that opportunity to pick up a colander and really sift through mm. each and every aspect of it, you know, each and every bullet mm. point to put it in the truth category or, you know, this fiction that is kind of pushed on me. Mm. And because I'm in that situation of the heat of the moment, I don't realize it. So I just kind of go with it. Mm. But by stepping back and pulling that calendar out, it really frees you up and it gives you that opportunity to put the decision that you're not going to have an opinion. You're not going to go in with your preconceived notion. Yeah. And you're going to, do the fact finding, you're going to do the work and then you come out and ultimately that outcome ideally helps you further your story in a healthier way. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And I, I love that idea. And, and also recognizing that everyone has a different colander that's going to catch different things. Right. And, and because our brains have to filter out the information that's coming in. What is it Joe Dispenza says in What the Bleep? We have something like 400 billion bits of information coming into us every second. And we have we can only process 2,000 bits of that or something. And we chunk that up into pieces. So I think there is about 134 bits per piece. And when we're completely unstressed, we can maybe process about seven of these chunks when we're stressed, we can only process one or two. So how much stuff are we missing? How much stuff is going through our colander without us even being aware of it? And yet we have to do that because if we took in everything, we'd be completely overwhelmed. And so I love the science behind it as well, because then we look at those filters that we're looking through of belief systems, of societal conditioning, of you know all of the different things that we have been through with life experience. And you can understand how people look at things through different lenses. And it makes so much sense. And I think it makes my life easier to be able to think of it in those different ways. That's one thing I have noticed when I look back on the journey, really, is that between the shift and being on this side of it really does make life a lot easier. You know, you're not constantly looking for whatever's going to push that next button. And when it does get pushed, something different kind of triggers in the brain where instead of having that impulse of reaction, you can kind of take a step back and decide. And in what I, the way that I write and the way that I put things out, I kind of compare it to the idea of stewardship and conservation because, you know, you go through a journey and a life of trial and error. You figure out the things that work for you. You look at and admit that you made mistakes and what you can learn from it, how you can filter those things through your calendar in a way that actually isn't a failure, 
because you've experienced and made a mistake. Mm -hmm. You're able to shift and realize, hey, you know, there was something to be learned out of that point. And if I tuck that knowledge into my gut or into my mind, when it comes down to facing another situation close to it, I'll have that intuition to be able to respond a little bit better. And in the work I do, we do talk about that moving from reaction to response, which is exactly what you're talking about, having that little bit of time to go, how can I respond in a way that is healthier and more resourceful rather than just going into those old patterns of reaction? Because most of the time those old patterns of reaction are linked to traumas or denied parts of self or suppressed parts of self because it's activating some past hurt and that's where a lot of those you know heated reactions and you know those outbursts come from whereas if we heal those i i use the analogy for my clients of you know it's like having open plug sockets all over you and if somebody you know activates one it's shoving a knitting needle into the plug socket Whereas once we've done the healing work, we've got a childproof cover on there and they can poke at it all they want. They're not going to get that same reaction. It's not going to give that spark. And I remember often feeling it viscerally in my body when someone would hit a nerve and it would be that real almost jumpy type behavior of, oh, that that hit something there. And then the, the reactive pattern would begin The more I did the work and the more I healed those parts of myself and accepted them and learned to love them, the more I was able to, I guess, be the grown-up in the situation rather than let my inner children lead and go, I understand, you know, your pain to the inner child, but I've got this. I'm a grown-up. You know, I'm, I'm about to turn 45. I've got this. And I don't need to react in my toddler self anymore because I've healed that hurt child who just wanted to be seen and heard and loved and accepted for who and what they were. And as I listen to you, I kind of think back to uh, going through a lot of life thinking, you know, I've been through this, been through that. I blame everybody for it. And there's like this pit of bottled up anger inside that no matter how much somebody poked, I was always afraid to let it out. Because, number one, you don't know what that reaction is going to be. Number two, you don't know how to express it. And then I think about myself in the present moment and realizing that that little bottle of anger, somehow along the journey, along the last few years of this journey, kind of got released, kind of let go and disappeared. And I think that, you know, as complicated as, a scenario is going through that could be it boils down to really that simple statement of you know making a conscious decision whether you are really aware of it or not mm-hmm. these sort of changes they inspire all these different reactions and responses absolutely i think it also comes down to that judgment of our emotions people want to judge emotions as good or bad right or wrong yes or no and, and anger especially is seen as destructive and it's not what good girls do and all the rest of it. We've got so many stories about anger. But for the most part, anger tells us when we're afraid. It tells us 
when we're feeling really big emotions that we don't really want to feel like hurt, disrespected, feeling unloved, feeling not good enough, feeling not worthy, when we're feeling unseen or unheard, it tells us when our boundaries have been violated as well. So anger isn't a bad emotion. It is telling us that something is wrong. The same that anxiety is not a bad emotion. It's when that switch won't flip off because anxiety tells us, oh, maybe I don't walk down that, you know, dark alleyway. Maybe I go around the more well-lit way because that doesn't feel so safe. Anxiety helps to keep us safe. And so I think what it is is we we haven't understood that true emotional intelligence of understanding what these emotions are here for and what they're trying to tell us. I actually love anger at the moment. I it's It's not something I deny or push away. It tells me something. So if I feel it bubbling up, I don't deny it. I also don't throw it at people. I feel it and I go, okay, what is this trying to tell me? Am I afraid of something? Am I feeling hurt or one of those really deep emotions, feeling unseen, feeling unheard, whatever it is? And then I can process it because I have that emotional regulation, that emotional capacity that when we're little, I know for me, I got shamed when I was angry. I got shamed for being angry. I got shamed and belittled for feeling those feelings and we were told that was not acceptable behaviour. So every time I felt angry, I would push that part of me down. And then the next time I'd get angry, part of the old bit would try and come up, but then I'd be pushing down the old bit and pushing down the new bit of anger. And so we end up with this massive, you know, wall separating us from all of these parts of ourself that we've been trying to deny and suppress. So every time we then feel that emotion in the current time, all of these little bits of ourself that we've, you know, tried to push away, start trying to bubble up because they're like, hang on, I want to be heard. I want to know what this is, you know, I want to be seen now for what I am. And so then we're trying to push down the current bit as well as all the old bits. And then you go, of course, there's all these unresourceful behaviors coming up and all of this unexpressed anger and it's you know that mountain out of a molehill you know you know I certainly know when I have an argument with my partner it's very rarely about the thing we're arguing about it's usually because we haven't had enough time together and there's actually something much bigger going on than whatever it is that we argue about the dishes or whatever the beauty is now I can pick it up I can see it and I can go well babe this isn't about what we're arguing about, is it? And he'll go, oh, you're right. And next thing, it's all done and dusted and we're moving on to, you know, what do we actually need to do? What is the root cause of this friction between us? How do we, you know, reconnect so that we're not feeling the distance, which is usually when we we have this difference of opinion. And so I think once we start to recognise all of these parts of ourselves that we're trying to deny are there, And all they're wanting to do is be acknowledged, be loved, be heard, be seen, then we don't have those same outbursts because they're not fighting our main us. It's definitely, you know, a a journey that I've, and in fact, a battle that I've fought internally to really understand that. And I mean, you know, going from the having the reality that I had to having to learn to live in this reality. 
you know, you got to battle those things in a way that it feels a lot of the time like you're facing the unknown. Yeah. You know, you, you go out there and whether it's a partner or it's internal, you've got that feeling of disconnect of distance. Mm. And a lot of us are kind of afraid to jump right in and, you know, get down in the weeds about it and sort <laughs> it out. So <clears throat> you end up kind of looking for the nearest distraction. Yeah. The easiest thing to make the moment shift and go into autopilot. Yeah. And I, I remember at that stage, one of the most uh, power, probably the most powerful things that was said to me, because a lot of it was facing the unknown, is maybe you just don't need to know. Mm. You know maybe you need to just walk, blaze the trail and not worry about whether or not you've got the right equipment with you. And I remember writing a piece a few months back where I kind of put it together as the idea of walking a trail and uh, you come up to a mountain and you don't feel like you're able to climb it. So you just settle for living in the shadow of that mountain because you think you don't have the gear. The reality is in order to climb that mountain, it was never about not having the rope in your backpack. It was about the willpower to just face the unknown or even face the challenges and obstacles of, you know, addressing whatever a situation may be. Yeah, no, I completely, completely agree. I often say, you know, for my language anyway, a lot of people go into wanting to say do some of the work that we've done, but they're afraid that, all of this stuff that's, I guess, sitting behind that wall and that suppressed, denied kind of self is going to explode out of this Pandora's box and they're not going to be able to get the lid back on. And they're afraid to open the lid because of that, because they're scared of what they're going to find, because we've been taught to be afraid of our emotions and to be afraid of our internal landscape. And yet, as I say to them, I said, you are fully in control. And especially when you're working with skilled, trained practitioners who are trauma-informed and who understand deeply human behaviour, then they can help you open the lid, take out what you're ready to work on, close the lid up until the next time. And you can do it piece by piece. And I think you're right. One of the words that I'm being very conscious about using at the moment is understanding. So we want to understand ourselves and we want to understand everybody else. But think about that word. When we are standing under someone, we are submitting to another authority, but we are our own authority. And so I don't actually think that we need to understand what's going on. I don't think we need to understand our partners or other people. I think we need to comprehend. I think we need to accept. I think we need to empathize and love, but we don't need to understand. We don't need to stand under their authority. We don't, we as all sovereign beings. And I think if we get to a place of love and acceptance, love for the people who aren't going to do the work, love for the people who are doing the work, love for everybody in between, and just accepting that everybody is on their own path and either climbing their mountain or sitting at the bottom of it, whichever they choose is if we can accept that and love that, then I think 90% of the work is done. 
I think that's a beautiful expression to go back to that Marcus Aurelius quote because that's how he actually closes that part up is he talks about even though all these different elements can get under my skin if I let them, they shouldn't because I should love and understand that they are from the same creation that I am from. Yeah. And when you start to do that, you start to see those sort of things, even though there there's that cloud of unknown and we'd like to give power to it to the point that that trail puts its own clouds over top of us. If you can continue to walk down that path, I feel like it not only broadens the surroundings around you, but it also really kind of gives into the, that greater good of your story as well as whoever you're partnered with. But then there, it also ties into that spirituality idea. The fact that you are in control of the story. Mm. Yeah. And I think you are in control of how other people's stories affect you. And we yes. also don't, don't recognize that part of ourselves. Yeah. That's very true. And I think that's probably one of the hardest things that I've had to grapple with. And I'm sure a lot of people have that same struggle is, you know, said person gives you this definition of who you are. And for a long time, I walked through life with my on autopilot, believing that that was my worth and my value. And then, you know, to lo and behold, be alone, be on my own and not have those voices kind of filtering or feeding me my value and my worth. Mm -hmm. I had to go internally and I had to discover what that was. And I think that kind of when you do those sort of things, it leads you to find your true authentic type of purpose. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No, I think I think that's absolutely beautiful. And and I think as we can tune out, and, and that's the subtitle of my book is Prioritising Internal Truth Over External Influence. We are taught to go out from such a young age. You know, if we're sick, we go to the doctor. If we've got a problem at school, we go to the teacher. If we've got a problem at home, we go to our parents. We are taught to go out. And for a while, obviously, that is necessary. But we're not sat down in our teenage years and taught, okay, guys, look, you're getting to an age now where we're going to start trusting you to make your own decisions, to try and solve your own problems. Here's some tools. Here's what you do. We're literally kind of taught to go outside of ourselves and then pushed out the nest and go, go fly, be an adult. And there's none of this in-between bit of going, okay, so this is how you sit with your own truth. This is how you trust your internal landscape. This is how you can tune out some of that noise that may not know you as well as you know yourself. This is how you get to know yourself. That training is something I wish I'd found much, much sooner than I did. You know, I probably started this work in my early 30s. I'm going to be 45 next week. It's been a long journey. It's, I mean, that's 12 years roughly of reading the books, of doing the work. It really um, accelerated when I started studying kinesiology at the end of 2015. That was really when I just went on this massive explosion of the work. But I'd been dabbling in it before then. So you're talking 12 years now of looking at it. And learning to turn down that external noise 
has not always been easy. And yet when I have managed it, I have found that I am experiencing more magic, more wonder, more awe, more synchronicity, more randomness, and things fall into place with that ease that we were talking about earlier. There's less overthinking, there is more being. I think that goes back to actually what we were talking about before we hit record on this conversation. How, you know, we were going through these struggles with the aspects of our work that we don't like. And we were both like, you know, so quick to jump and say, hey, I'd love to outsource that so I could focus on the part that I love. <laughs> yeah. But I think as I've come to realize all of those struggles and doing the things that we don't enjoy, we build new skills and we get to grow. We get to experience the challenges and we're, that's what we're doing here is we're constantly challenging ourselves because, you know, it's like, I hate doing the the media conversations or, you know, spending the time uploading and doing this and doing that, that I find when I do it, it's more like kind of a, a just, well, media dump. It's kind of like, you know, here's all this stuff all at once because I finally took the time to do what it is that I hate to do. And I think in order to really balance the circle, we got to start to change that word of dislike or hate, the things that we procrastinate on. Mm -hmm. You got to kind of start to steer your eyesight, your direction more to put the momentum behind it mm -hmm. because you're, it, it unlocks so much. Yeah. And I think, as you say, it's learning those new skills, which also then rewire new parts of the brain, which is growth. Yes. <laughs> and, and there's that resistance to growth. I mean, I've only just started my podcast. I am green as, you know, I, I admire people who've been doing it as long as you have, because I think I'm on that episode 11 or something crazy. And I started well before I was ready. So it hasn't just been... <coughs> learning new technologies and learning new processes it's learning a whole new platform and getting all of the assets around that sorted and i've stared at my computer more hours in the last few days because a lot of my work is in person or it might be an hour session online but then i'm up and i'm walking around and i'm clearing my energy and then i'm back to another client session whereas this is much more focused online and even that's been a big shift and change. And I can feel the resistance to the learning new things because I know I'm laying down pathways that weren't there before. And as you know, when you work out in the garden and you're laying down a new path, it's not easy work. And that's what we're doing when we're learning new things. And even when we're doing old jobs that we don't particularly enjoy, more often than not, it's because it's not part of our passion it's not part of our purpose it's not part of our genius zone but we also can't always just be in our genius zone we also have to go into those other zones because if we were just in our genius zone yes it would be fun and also I, I wonder sometimes how much we would grow and learn some of these new skills and be prepared to go outside of that to again find the newness find the expansion I love the way that um, Martha Beck talks about it. And she says 
does the job feel like shackles on or shackles off? And for me, that's a really quick check-in. If something feels like shackles on, A, how can I make it feel like shackles off? B, you know, could I outsource it or ask for help? And C, is it just that resistance to learning a new skill or to doing something that's a little bit boring or to doing something that feels like a chore? And how can I make that chore-like feeling feel more fun? So, you know, I use the example of my car insurance. I hate shopping around insurance. So I usually wait until the money comes out of my account, you know, six days or a week before it's due. And then I go into, oh, crap, I didn't do that. You know what? Within an hour of me noticing that that money's gone out of my account, I've shopped around my insurance. I've either gone with a new insurer and requested a refund from the current insurer and cancelled the policy, or I've stayed with the old insurer and gone, oh, well, that was the right decision. But because I don't do it until push comes to shove and that pain gets big enough for me to actually action something. Now, I could actually save myself that little bit of panic of having this money come out of my account if I did it the week before and knowing it only takes an hour. But for me, that still just is not one of those things that will ever, I think, jump to the top of that list. Whereas for me, say, you know, launching the podcast, which has felt a little bit like shackles on, I actually know those shackles are fear, that fear of being seen, the fear of putting myself out there, which is kind of just that false evidence. It's not reality. I know I have stuff to share and I've been fine being on other people's podcasts. So what's the difference in starting my own? And so again, when I can start to reframe it and recognize it as fear, it's almost like that little slap to myself of going, come on, this is your next thing. Let's just do this. And then starting to get some of the feedback, you go, oh, I did actually need to do that. I did need to start that. That was the right thing to do. (laughs) And that's the funny part is when I think about the fact how we suffer more within our own heads than what reality actually has intended for us. Yeah. Cause I, I remember the same kind of cold feet when I first started and, you know, even before then I had started writing and, you know, publishing articles and whatnot thinking, you know, I'm probably doing this more so for myself than anything else. And then you start to realize that people are catching on and, not only are they enjoying the work, but it's helping them. And you get those responses and, you know, it it feels so much more impactful to you because number one, it's coming based off of a journey that you've lived and that you're sharing. Mm -hmm. And number two, it's like an authentic message. And then I think there, there's like this X factor to it because I know, sitting here especially now this far down the path of it i never ever pictured or envisioned that i'd be doing the work that i'm doing Mm -hmm. and to be able to do it and not only do it well but in a way that it's helping the listener and myself i think is this like very unique twist to it that keeps it not only fresh and inspiring but also on its direct path and message, no matter how many hangups come along the way or what fear or challenge you've got to overcome or sort out, you know that the 
the drive is inter is internal. It's inside of you because when you end up in a position doing work or doing something that you never thought you would be doing, mm -hmm. it's generally a part of your purpose and that I feel like gives you all the momentum to overcome all of it. It does. And also it's that practice then of stepping into or, or questioning what the fear is and discerning whether it's true fear or something else. And so the more that I've stepped into my journey, I've realised a lot of the fear is just because this path is unknown. Yes. It's not because it's the wrong path or it's not I'm in danger fear. It's the fear of the unknown. It's that questioning, you know, where's the path going to? The thing that I keep reminding myself is that I shouldn't be able to see the path. If I can see the path ahead, I'm on the wrong path. I'm on somebody else's path because I've got to clear my own path. And I think that's what a lot of people don't recognize with this kind of work and with the journey that you do to your true inner self, to that true inner landscape is that you are forging your own path. If you're walking along a path that is this motorway with 120 million other people walking it, that's not your path because other people have created it for you. Your path is where you have, you know, I, I get the vision of going through the bush and you've got that hatchet in hand and you're literally kind of hacking stuff away and, finding where you're going next, seeing where your next footfall is. And that's where I love actually today. I was starting work on a piece about uh, Daniel Boone and his love of being in not only in danger, but also inconvenienced. <laughs> and if you think about that era and the way that they blazed the path of building the United States, had they stopped and sat, you know, in that fear and said, hey, I can't go any further. It's almost impractical to think about how drastically different the world would be. Mm. And one one thing that has really helped me and inspired me along my way is latching onto these different characters throughout history mm. and being able to see their challenges, their you know, the way that they overcame the different obstacles, but also their mindset and to tap into that and study those things and apply it to my work and my, you know, my life in general, my journey in a way that suits and fits the story that I'm trying to live. Yeah, absolutely. I think we are such metaphorical story-based creatures and we often try to deny that. So I love that you talk about that because I think it just, it sings to who we fundamentally are as human beings. We need the poetry and the music and the story and the plays and the metaphors for life because that is how we learn so, so much of what we're going through. It is. And, you know, not only have I found myself doing it, like in my journaling, I'll sit and I'll come across something that I write and, you know, whatever example from said person in the past that I've, that I've learned about ends up kind of making its way in there 
to help me sort through and understand what it is that I'm going through. Mm. And one of those prime examples is when I reconnected with my daughter. Mm. That was like the scariest situation in the world. And I had developed this thought process that, you know, regardless of the outcome, there's one sole message that I need to deliver. Mm -hmm. And I thought about it and I thought about it and I'm like, I need to find some way to visualize this. And instantly Davy Crockett and the Alamo popped up and I was like, all right, let me roll with this a little bit. And as I kind of looked into it, you know, I'm thinking, here's this guy that believes so firmly in his message of freedom and everything that he stood when everybody else started running and ultimately met his end because he was going to continue to try to push that message forward. Mm-hmm. And the legend goes that when they finally found him, he was underneath a pile of would-be assailants and murders, only finally succumbing when he couldn't pull his knife free from the next person on top of him. So to me, to think that somebody could have that kind of courage to put that message out there Mm -hmm. and push it, said that, you know, when I walk into the park and I look at this little girl, I can do the same thing. Mm. Yeah. And it's beautiful that you could recognize the, I guess, the courage and bravery in that moment. Um, I I was told only the other day when I was telling my story on a podcast and somebody said to me, oh, God, you're so brave. And I went, I didn't have any other choice. I actually didn't have any other choice. I didn't see the bravery. And I do now, in hindsight, see that it was courageous and it was brave. But at the time, I just did what I had to do. I had to just, I couldn't stay, so I had to leave. And that was it. There was no choice in the matter. And so I put one foot in front of the other. Now, as I, even at the time, I remember people would say to me, oh, you're so brave to be doing this. I could never do that. All the things. And I could not own that. I couldn't see it. And I think so often we can't see our own courage in the moment. So I really, really love that you understood that inner courage and bravery. But I'd also question whether you had any other choice, really. I it's think uh, this person is here and I need to just, I want to connect, I need to connect, and I'm going to do my damnedest to do it because there's no other choice. <laughs> See, I think of it that way in the fact that that's what pushed me. And I also kind of compare it to reading a lot of Epictetus and talking about, you know, at the end of the day, when you lay your child down, you say to yourself that your child may not survive the night. Mm -hmm. So you don't put anything else off. You don't, you know, speed up the process of bedtime or anything like that. You actually enjoy and live in the moment as if you're not going to get that opportunity. And when I finally had the opportunity, you know, you know, come out and, almost handed to me it was like yeah it really made me have to face a lot of things that i had a lot of doubt within yeah as far as the process goes but to do it it was almost like you know i either do it now or i don't do it and ultimately i did and it's become 
<clears throat> just like, you know, the moral of the Alamo. Yeah. You know, we've built this amazing foundation and it's become the same thing between me and my daughter. Mm -hmm. We've built this amazing foundation and we've found common ground and, you know, almost, you could almost say happily ever after, but we still got a lot of years to go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And I love that. I think it's also really important for us to be forging those paths because I've often said it, my children have grown and evolved so much as I've done the work. And it's not because I'm teaching them what I'm doing. I'm just living it. Yes. I'm being the example of it. And a lot of it, they have learned through osmosis. I see them. I see the way they react and respond in different situations. And I am blown away because I'm going, I haven't taught you this. I've just lived what I've lived. And it is absolutely phenomenal to me to see that kind of thing because we don't always remember that they're watching we don't always remember because especially I mean mine are now 17 and 15 they're doing their own thing they've got their own lives their friends and all that as I said to them I said as much as I want you guys to hang out with me you probably shouldn't be wanting to hang out with me right now you should be with your friends so I'm always going to want it but if you're choosing me I'm actually going to start questioning (laughs) why you want to spend time with me (laughs) because realistically in your developmental state and they're, they're beautiful they come up and they talk to me about all sorts of different things but it's just fascinating seeing them growing into these people and My book launch is probably the time that I actually realised this truly and very, very deeply, how much we are being watched. Because I'd seen some of these behaviours coming out in them and I was in that bit of, oh, that's interesting. Huh, they're behaving this way. Oh, they are watching. But it was when my daughter came up to me probably half a dozen times in my book launch and just said, Mum, I'm so proud of you. No one deserves this more than you. And then when I won my first book award, she was like, hell yeah, of course you did. You know, nobody deserves this more than you. And seeing that support coming from, at the time she was 14, a 14, 15-year-old girl blew my mind. And also it's what's kept me on my path because I go, they're watching. Both of them are watching. And all I can do is lead by example and live by example. And it's the same thing that I do with my clients. It is the same thing I do with my children, with my partner. I don't just do the work. I live, I breathe, I eat, I sleep the work. Because for me, understanding the depths of our human behaviour and our humanity And that divinity that we all hold so deeply within us is endlessly fascinating. And the more I know, the more I realise I don't know and the more I want to know. And so that also keeps me on that curious path of continuing to learn and deepen the work and deliver, I don't know, new learnings to myself. It's endlessly fascinating. And I think you're right. There is this happily ever after. And I love that you say that as well. 
because, yes, you've got a lot to live and you've got a lot to live for, but that shows your gratitude for right now. And I think that's important too. I think that's something that I haven't really put a lot of thought into. I know through that process, it's been working through a lot of like self-guilt and then moving into a position where I put all that aside and can live in the moment. Mm. But I don't think I've really progressed quite to the gratitude part of it yet. It's more just enjoying the experience. Yeah. I think gratitude can only really come when we look back. It doesn't come when we're in the moment. I often feel, you know, for me to be truly grateful for my life, I am grateful for it in the present moment. But it's also through the present mixed with the past and mixed with all of that experience that I think feeds my gratitude truly. And so I see what you're saying in that, but I think there's that that presence that you talk about, that being in the moment, which is a lot of the work that you do is that, you know, what's happening now? What's my experience now? How do I make sense of this experience now? Not necessarily, you know, <laughs> foretelling the future or trying to live too much in the future because we know that's where anxiety and stress and what ifs right. live. But also trying not to live in the past, although naturally when we have erred, when we have had unresourceful behaviours and when we feel guilty about things, of course we think about them. But it's how does that inform this present moment? Because for me, it's that informing from the past that allows my gratitude in the moment. I think that's actually the best way to wrap this up as we start to run out of time. There were so many different things I had I wanted to ask <laughs> and dive into. I think we're going to have to do this again, though. I'm more than happy to chat <laughs> with you again. <laughs> so before I let you go, you got to let people know about not only your podcast, your book, but how they can get in touch with you and all that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So the best place to go is my website, which is amandakate.com.au, um, obviously the .au for Australia. My book is Divine, Messy, Human, A Spiritual Guide to Prioritizing Internal Truth Over External Influence, and that can be found wherever you find your books. And my podcast is also now called Divine, Messy, Human. So, yeah, I'm adding to it. I did another interview yesterday. I'm finally starting to interview people. I'm doing a mix of solo episodes and mixed things and I coach and do kinesiology online and I'm on all the socials but the links are on my website so that's the easiest one perfect and I'll link to everything in the show notes when Wonderful. when this one airs I appreciate it it's been a blast oh thank, thank you. you so much I've been looking forward to chatting to you so I'm so grateful thank you <laughs> I appreciate it I have been too As I personally have come to discover and really deeply understand, some of the most authentic missions in life are born in the face of unexpected events, which is why I value my relationship with today's sponsor, MyMedic.com. I'm very proud to share with you the special offer that we put together with the folks over at MyMedic, because right now, when you use the promo code Project Outdoors 15 will save 15% site-wide on their entire selection of life-saving products. You know, the weather is finally starting to get warm, which means that it's time to hit the field, camping, hiking, fishing, 
and just outright chasing the adventure, right? As you're gearing up and you're getting ready, don't overlook the most important staple of any trip. First aid and preparation. Having the ability to provide first aid and care in the field saves lives. And MyMedic.com is founded on that exact principle. Because, you see, there was a tragic event that ended up costing someone's life while waiting for emergency assistance after an accident. And the survivors found themselves powerless in that moment, unable to do anything to save a life because they were unprepared. So then, after that event, they got together and formed MyMedic.com in order to put the power back in not only their hands, but your hands. And should a, an emergency situation arise, and you know, I always keep my medic sidekick pack close at hand, just for that same peace of mind. And right now, you can do the same. Put the power in your hand and give yourself that peace of mind by visiting mymedic.com or hitting the, sh the link in the show notes and using promo code Project Outdoors 15 today. That's mymedic.com, promo code Project Outdoors 15, and be ready should that situation ever arise for you. edition of Project Mindfully Outdoors, and, you know, it was a lot of fun to get out here this weekend and do some uh, recording, making some video footage and whatnot for uh, a lot of the sponsors that, you know, are joining us here at camp in order to help us to expand, and, you know, I definitely want to spend a special thank you out to such brands such as my medic crew outdoors see the summit evolution outdoors and the list of them for all helpful us to make this possible but you know i think to tie things back together and wrap this conversation up you know i put this uh ending together in this cool little meditation area that I found. This is where I spent a good portion of the night last night just uh, meditating. You know, taking things in, not only getting this episode together, but a few other things. And, you know, I want to thank Amanda for being so open and so honest about her path and her trek through life. You know, a lot of us have those aspects of the journey that really aren't so bright. You know, there's a lot of things that we just close for life that based off of traumas and experiences feel like feel normal at the time. However, they're pretty impactful in a negative way, not only to us, but to the people around us that truly care about. 
and I think being able to walk through a path and a valley, you're able to explore that and figure out how to change it. And that's where the idea of conservation comes from. You know, we talked about so many times how throughout how throughout the Hyde Hunting Hills during the expansion part of our history. You know, animals such as the buffalo are hunted to near extinction. And when they figured out something was wrong, they came up with the animals coming back every year to their normal hunting spot. They turned around and they chose a different course of action. And ultimately, we still get to enjoy that amazing creature today because of decisions like that. And we're able to do those things. And that's one of the key fundamental pillars around here about the is that conservation. Because it's never too In fact, this weekend, not only was it a work-based nature, but it was one that, due to self-conservation, became a very enjoyable and magical moment. So until next time, get out there in the wild, enjoy the stillness, and the adventure See ya! Hey friends, it's Mike. And as we wrap up this edition of the podcast and we prepare to go through our adventure of the day, I just want to take a second to say thank you. To say thank you for tuning in and being a part of this camp. You know, it means a lot to me and it really blows my mind just how far we've come and I'm really how far we still have to go. So if you found any value in this show, I invite you over to projectmindfullyoutdoors.co and while you're there, I'd really love for you to sign up for the newsletter, which is jam-packed full of special offers, tips and tricks for not only the outside wilderness, but also the everyday walk of life as well. So there's a little bit of something for everybody. And there's never any spam, and you can also unsubscribe at any time. So I hope to see you there. And until next time, my friend, get out there in the wild. That's where the stillness and the adventure lies. See ya.